sermon. Again, open up your Bibles to John chapter 2, 1 to 11. In today's scripture, we'll be reading about a wedding. A wedding, or more specifically, a wedding party and a great feast. And let me tell you, as you're turning there to John chapter 2, I love weddings. In fact, weddings, marriages, are one of the greatest blessings that pastors have to be part of. I see Eldon shaking his head. Um, And I'm sure there's been others in here, maybe Lee there, who have had the joy, the blessing of performing a marriage ceremony. It is a beautiful thing to join two people together in that way with God's ordaining. But let me tell you, there's many other joys about weddings too. For instance, one of my favorite joys about a wedding is what comes before the marriage, the premarital counseling. I know, and especially guys, I see some looks on your faces. You're thinking, that is not the most fun part for me. That part was intimidating. I love the premarital counseling because that's the part where we really get to know one another. I get to know them. They get to know each other better, and we get to know God's plan for marriage. Weddings are great. In fact, Weddings are often funny, too, as you see mistakes that happen, as you see things that fall through, and you just have to laugh about them. I think about my wedding almost 18 years ago. I hope I got that right. And my brother-in-law, I won't name names, but he had to leave in the middle of the wedding. I didn't realize it. Did you realize it? She noticed, of course, because he almost passed out. You know, one of the first things they say, and as a pastor now, I always tell people, don't lock your knees. Stay loosey-goosey, stay flexible, have fun, don't stress out too much, and you just got to laugh those things off. But you know, as we think about weddings, and as much as I love weddings, and as much as the couple love having the pastor part of the wedding, because you can't get married without him, right? Well, maybe you can go to a judge. You can do one of those overnight ordination um, pamphlets online, which, so you know, I'm not a supporter of. We can talk about that another time if you like. But there's one part about a wedding that I don't think people really normally like having the pastor part of. Can anybody guess what that is? The party, the reception. In fact, many pastors, and I don't do this, Or maybe I find a time in the middle of it. But there are pastors I've heard of which on purpose actually use it as an excuse not to even go to the reception. Because so often the wedding party and the bride and groom and the guests, they're on edge knowing the pastor's there. Can we really dance with the pastor here? Can we really party? Can we really have fun? Just so you know, I think I'm a pretty fun guy. Okay? But there are many pastors which leave in the middle of the reception or don't even go to the reception because it's awkward for the pastor. It, is, it can be awkward. And maybe we should stick around just to put you in that spot. <laughs> but it can also be awkward for them knowing, can I party? Well, the story we're going to read today, the totally true story, this event at the wedding of Cana, Jesus was invited. I mean, you talk about... You talk about pressure. Jesus is invited, not just Pastor Patrick or Pastor Eldon or Lee McMiniman, not just any regular everyday guy, but the Son of God, the prophesied Messiah is there, and his mother, too, and the disciples, too. But what we're going to see, they would be very grateful he was there. Let's read together. You see, what we're going to see 
is not just a miracle, not just a sign, but a great solution to a great problem. And Jesus was the solution. He still is today. Let's read John 2, 1 to 11. Julia, I'll let you do the slides. And following along on the screen or in your copy of the Word of God, we read this. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, this is very important to see. We have the subject of what's going on here, what is happening described. We have where, and already we have the people. Who are we talking about? We're talking about a wedding. We're talking about the mother of Jesus, Jesus and his disciples, and obviously a party, a wedding, guest, bride, and a bridegroom, and whatever else goes along with this. It's also important to see that they weren't just party crashers, wedding crashers. No, they were invited. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, there's some controversy, or not controversy, there's discussion. Were the disciples really invited, or did they just tag along? That doesn't really matter for today's discussion, though. Um, let's read on, starting at verse 3. When the wine ran out. Wow, what a way to get straight to the great problem at hand. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, we're not going to talk in great um, discussion about this yet, because we're going to be talking throughout the sermon here. I just want to get through the reading, but I do want to note, before your minds immediately turn off and think, what? Jesus just talked to his mom like that? Woman? Well, let me say, back then, 2,000 years ago, and the context we're reading in, he was not referring to his mom in a disrespectful way. Not at all. Not one bit. Now, what we do not want to do is encourage you peoples to go to your wife, your mother, or even your sons or daughters or your kids and go up and start referring to them as, woman, what do you think you're doing? No, that is not a good idea. Let me just say that's one way to get in trouble. But Jesus here, in a very respectful way for the time, is just addressing her and addressing her concern and saying, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, though, do whatever he tells you. And we'll talk about this greatly later. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine. Don't skip over that little part. Now become wine. This is what this is all about here. Jesus turned the water into wine. Great problem, great solution. And did not know where it came from. Those are servants who had drawn the water new. So the, the master did not know. The bridegroom did not know. The guest did not know. But it says, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, this 
as we wrap this all up, don't skip this final statement here. This, the first of his signs, great miracles, but a little bit different of a definition of sign. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. The disciples believed. Today's scripture is one of Jesus' most well-known, most popular, and somewhat most debated miracles as well. And I'll just give you a hint. The most debated kind of just has to do with the wine part. Was it alcohol? Was it not? Was he supporting the drinking of alcoholic beverages? Was he not? You know, that's a discussion for another day. I can tell you 100% though, he was not encouraging drunkenness. I believe 100%, that's without a doubt, sinful, wrong, not okay. I'm just going to leave that right there before I move on. But this is where Jesus' public ministry begins. Now, some would say, and I actually like this word a little bit better, as one commentator, pastor, author by the name of D.A. Carson would say, that it's his semi-public ministry. Since apparently only the servants and the disciples gained the knowledge of the source of wine. Now, we don't know. I would imagine a great event like this, a great problem with a great solution. Water turned to wine. Jesus was here. And all of a sudden, this I'm guessing it got out. I mean, we do have it in this great book called the Word of God, called the Bible. But at this time, the Word of God says they did not all know. But we do know is that his semi-public ministry apparently begins. And we know that the disciples gained the knowledge and they believed. We're going to be talking about Jesus' ministry, his public ministry, signs and miracles throughout this great gospel book of John, this series, Believe and Live, throughout the next, well, I'm not even going to give a week to it. But in reading today, what we see is Christ the Creator. Yes, we see a wedding feast. We see a great party. We see great signs and wonders. We see a great miracle of water turned to wine. But what we also see and how we can summarize all of this is we see Christ the creator in this. That's the main idea today. That's the title for today, Christ the creator. And in today's scripture, we see a great problem with a great solution. If you're taking notes, you can just write that right below what you're writing down on this slide. If you're taking notes, this is great to write down and then write down a great problem, a great solution. Within this we're going to see three different subjects, three different people, three different ideas within that great problem, that great solution. Starting with number one, we're seeing what Jesus, Christ the creator, does. Number two, we're going to look to Mary. And we're going to see what Mary, or actually what she's often and almost always, if not always, referred to in the book of John, the mother of Jesus. The mother of Jesus. That's interesting. You can look into that later. She's normally referred to as the mother of Jesus, and probably because John was told to look after her. So now she was his mother, too. Number three, we're looking to Jesus. We're looking to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And number three, we look to us. We're going to see what does this all mean for us? What ought we do with our lives in light of this reading? 
In this event, this sign, Christ creates wine from water. And I want you to see first, before we get going too far, that this was not just any wine. This was good wine. This was fine wine. And this was wine that would not just go unnoticed. As they took it for sampling from the master of the feast, he would actually question the bridegroom. What is this that you saved till the end? This wasn't the cheap stuff. It wasn't the diluted stuff. It wasn't the bad tasting stuff that parties would often keep for the end. A lot of you guys are doing graduation parties. And I'm sure you don't do this. You don't, you don't serve the, the 1919 good root beer at the beginning and then just put out regular old mug or A&W at the end, right? You're like, Jesus, you bring out the good stuff at the end. And I appreciate that. Because so often I end up at the end of those parties. I'm thankful for that. Jesus brings out the best wine. But before we go there, I do want you to address why did they often bring out the diluted stuff at the end? Well, the hope would be that at the end or near the end or in the middle when it's starting to die down, because these parties could last three days, four days, five days, a week. The hope would be that the guests would be getting too tired their taste buds would be getting less sensitive and tired, or possibly sinfully they'd be coming a little bit drunk and would not notice the cheaper wine. So they wanted to save money where they could. Now, I do not want to push that drunken part, though, because I do believe that in this time they knew very well the sinfulness that drunkenness was. Here's another thing, though. You see, this was the best wine ever made. Why? Because Jesus made it. And he is the ultimate creator. You cannot out-create Christ. You can't, alt- you can't out-create God. People try every day to out-create God. As we try to solve the problems of the universe, as we try to figure out everything, as we try to create our own clones of animals, and all I can think of right now are those calves that they've cloned in the past and they end up with two heads or other weird things. You can't out-create God. God is the creator, the one and only, the true God. We are not God. Here's another thing about Christ creating wine from water. Not simply wine, but fine wine, good wine. And yes, I do believe it was fermented or alcoholic wine. And I believe this makes this miracle even more powerful. I heard a pastor talking about this just the other week because to just create grape juice, although that would be, a fantastic miracle. It wouldn't have the same amount of power behind it because you think of how much time and how much effort it takes to make the fermentation process happen. Yet Christ instantaneously creates. There's power. Power in Christ being the creator. That's something we can discuss, we can debate another day. But Jesus, this was easy for because Christ is the creator and he creates instantaneous for water. Water is something I was just discussing the other day with a church member in here. Water is something which is so often symbolic of life, symbolic of life-giving power. Christ brings life. Christ brings life to the party through his creative power. Christ at God's time will also bring life to all God's people through his perfect life, sacrifice, and resurrection. Christ still creates life today in the lives of God's chosen people. But we must seek him out. 
We must choose to follow after him, as the good word says, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Do you truly believe? Do you follow him? Do you seek him? Because if you do seek him, you will find him. Number one, as we get to the points here, the clear points is this, Christ the creator provides. He creates not just wine from water, but life, abundant life, and he provides for this wedding feast with this wine. But he provides so much more. In fact, later in John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We have abundant life provided through Christ Jesus as Lord. Speaking of abundant provision, Jesus here creates an abundant amount of wine. Not just a few more glasses full. We're told that he uses these these vessels, these pots, which hold 20 to 30 gallons each. That would be 120 to 180 gallons of wine. He creates an abundant amount, which I am sure knowing Jesus' Jesus's classic style, it was more than enough. More than enough. Speaking of Christ and how he provides for our life, he provides more than enough, more than enough of his blood sacrificed to cover all of our sins and more. We need not think that we need to cover our own sins with our works, our goodness, because we are never good enough. But praise the Lord, we don't need to be because he always already is and was. Jesus provides. Jesus, Christ the creator's provisions are always enough and they always will be. But let's go back a moment. How did we even get to this miracle? Where number two is this. Christ the creator He listens and he hears the needs of Mary and his people. You know what? He still listens and hears the needs of his people today. There was a great problem. There was a great solution. Christ was that solution. And Christ is still the solution for all of our great problems of life today. And it starts with the problem of sin. We have life through Christ and Christ alone. But the great news about Christ He doesn't just solve the problem of life and death and sin. He solves your daily problems once you're saved too. He's he's there with you every step of the way. But we must recognize him. Christ the creator is still listening and hearing great problems and providing great solutions. But back to the wedding. Mary may be working the wedding. This could be why she takes such interest in they're out of wine. In fact, there are a lot of speculations as to why would Mary tell Jesus this? Why did she care at all? She's very concerned when she hears the wine is gone and she tells Jesus, they have no wine. This was a huge problem. You see, as we said before, weddings lasted several days and I I tend to think this was near the beginning of this celebration, this feast, and they're out already. Now, we may not understand the severity of the problem. In fact, there's some Christians in here and across the world who would say, this is a good problem. They're out of wine. They don't need to worry about drunkenness or mistakes happening. But let me just say, in the Jewish customs, the Jewish context, looking at it from the Jewish perspective, this was no mere minor inconvenience. You see, for the Jews, and in this time period, wine was a symbol of God's great blessing upon a marriage. Wine was also a symbol of joy in these celebrations. So, to have no wine, 
Some people could, could just assume that this marriage was doomed to fail. It was cursed. There was no blessing. There's no joy in this, in this party, let alone in this marriage. Why did Mary tell Jesus so? Why did she care? Well, for one thing, and again, many different speculations, but for one, some people speculate that maybe she was just telling him the unpleasant news. Who here has ever had a mother? Come on, raise your hand. Don't our moms like to talk to us? Maybe she was just talking to Jesus, a fellow guest there, maybe even a fellow servant there, as maybe this was a relative, a friend, and she's like, Jesus, can you believe this? They're out of wine. Nathaniel, John, they're out of wine. Oh, no. What are we going to do? Maybe she was just talking to him. Others speculate that she wanted him, the son of God, and the prophesied Messiah to leave the party before any announcement, any formal announcement that the wine was gone, was made. Now, why would, they, why would this happen? Well, can you imagine the embarrassment? I mean, it's already a humiliation, an embarrassment to think that the party doesn't have what they need. The very big essence which symbolizes blessing and prosperity and, and, um, and ugh, joy is gone. They're already embarrassed, but now the prophesied Messiah is here and we weren't prepared for him and his disciples. and his. So maybe she's telling him to leave, to, to take away, to lessen the embarrassment. I don't know about any of these, but what I do know is this. It's also possible, very possible, and I agree with this if you're, if you're dozing, listening up. I believe that Mary knew that he could do something and something was needed. She didn't know what Jesus was going to do. We don't see her saying, Jesus, the wine is gone. Go and make some more. Jesus, go do a miracle. But we know that she knew very well who her son Jesus was, and she knew he could do something. In fact, our moms would come to us too. We may not be the son of God. We may not do a miracle, but they might think we can help. She went to her son, Jesus, seeking his help. She knew he could do something, and something was needed. Here's something we learned from Mary's point of view. Christ the creator, he listens and provides. Mary has faith in Jesus. Mary has faith in Jesus. Yes, Mary has faith in Jesus, the son of God, to know what to do with a bad situation. And you too can have faith in Jesus to know what to do with every bad situation, with every great problem that comes up in your life. Seek him. Give all to him. Have faith in him. Tell him your problems. Don't tell him how to fix your problems. Let him be in control of that part. Mary had faith in Jesus. And even after Jesus tells her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. We see her great faith go into action. I love this part. Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. He just said, woman, what does this have to do with me? But she turns around and says, guys, you just wait. Do whatever he tells you because something big is going to happen. My son Jesus, he doesn't like problems. He likes solutions. Who here likes solutions? I like solutions. That gets me in trouble sometimes. Because I like to fix problems, and sometimes problems either aren't able to be fixed, or it's not the time to be fixed, and you just need to listen. Jesus listened, and then he provided. 
Or sometimes we try and fix all these great problems on our own when we're not meant to fix them on our own. We're meant to fix them with him. Why is this all so important? It's important because I think we see how much Mary valued marriage. We see how much Jesus valued marriage. We see how much Mary and Jesus, they valued this ceremony and this this process, this feast, this wedding. It wasn't truly about the wine at all. It's about what the wine symbolized. And then as we're summarized later, it's what Jesus does. It's about who Jesus is. Jesus brings life. Jesus brings joy. Mary did not want this couple to be humiliated, embarrassed. He didn't, she didn't want, and neither did Jesus want, their wedding, their marriage to be characterized by people saying they were not blessed because they ran out of what some would consider the most important essence of this feast. Wine was not just a symbol of, of something to drink, something to stay healthy in some ways in a time when water wasn't all that healthy by itself. It was a symbol of joy, prosperity, and blessing. So here is a marriage which seemingly is about to start out with no joy, no prosperity, no blessing to be found because they're gone. And Jesus says, uh-uh, no, I'm going to solve this problem. But in this problem, you're going to see a great sign of my manifested glory. Mary might have also another couple of speculations before we move forward and work to close here. Mary might have thought Jesus could say a few words. There's another speculation. You know, I hear Jesus had a way with words. He was a master storyteller. Maybe Mary just thought he had a way with words and he could go to the guest, he could go to that, that master of the party, the feast, and he could explain things in a gentle way, a better way. Or maybe, just maybe, this Jesus, he could just go say his own blessing upon the wedding guest and take the focus off the wine entirely. We don't know exactly why Mary came to Jesus, but it really doesn't matter. What matters most is we see that there's a great problem and a great solution. And we see that Mary had great faith in Jesus, and we can too. It's what did happen that matters. The solution matters. Jesus matters, and he still matters to our life today. One uh, commentary read says this, She says they have no more wine, and this is not only a statement of the bride and groom's problem, But as John saw, a spiritual summary of all humans without Christ. Life without Christ is a life without wine. Jesus brings joy back to their lives that day, and he brings joy to us still today too, but not through an alcoholic beverage, through his own presence, through his sacrifice, his resurrection, and him bringing us that great helper, that Holy Spirit into our lives. He creates a restored relationship with God the Father. He brings us peace. And in that peace with God, we have life and joy forevermore. We need not have that wine, that liquor. We have a joy that surpasses all understanding. Amen? Christ the creator is the solution to all of his problems. And as we end this um, scripture, we see God's word says in John 2, 11, he manifested his glory and the disciples, they believed in him.
Do we believe in him? Do we truly believe in him? You see, Mary's words to those servants was, do whatever he tells you to do. Well, the final application number four is this. If you truly believe in him and in his power, his glory, his sovereignty, we must see Christ the creator in our lives as large and in charge. I think too often we see ourselves as bigger than what we ought to see. Christ the creator in our lives must be large and in charge. I like a commentary of which Pastor Tony Evans out of Dallas, Texas says, Mary's words ought to ring in our ears. The Lord wants to do us to do whatever he tells us. He often doesn't describe the path that he's taking us on. He doesn't explain how he intends to deal with our problems. He simply calls us to obey his revealed word. And only after we've obeyed will we have the opportunity to experience him at a deeper level, the level he intends. Let's go back to that point. Christ must be large and in charge of your life. As you think of your life, I want you to just think, are you yielding to his power? Are you yielding to him being the great solution to all your great problems? Now, this is no prosperity gospel. That doesn't mean that when you give Christ your life and when you yield to him, all your medical issues are going to go away. All your financial issues are going to go away. All your marriage issues are going to go away. It doesn't mean that, but what it means is that he'll be with you along the way and that he has a greater future than anything we can imagine planned out for each and every single one of us. And it brings purpose to all of our problems as we recognize that even if we see all of these issues as bad, we know that through all things, God will be glorified. God can use even the worst things in our life to bring, bring glory to him and to bring about his purposes. And that's why when we're having great struggles in life, medical, financial, marriage, family, kids, friendships, relationships, the sky's the limit on problems. Come on, we live in a sin-filled world, but we can look at all these problems and we can say, God, I don't know what you're gonna do with this, but I know it's gonna be amazing. Just keep seeking him. Keep following him. Keep serving him. Keep reading his word and keep doing what Mary did. Go to him and tell him the problems. And then just say, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. Live for him. I'm going to skip forward in my notes here to end. And I want to end with this summary. The points, the take home, the challenge today is just a summary of everything we said. So let me quickly summarize this. In fact, I'll read it so we don't take too much time. The challenge to take home is a summary that we would be like Jesus. That was number one, like Jesus in listening to needs and providing for needs. We'd be looking to great problems and finding great solutions, but not trying to do what only Jesus can do. May we find the greatest solutions to the greatest problems in him and him alone. Let Christ create solutions to all your problems. Recognize him. And then number two, as we summarize, also be like Mary. Be faithful and trust in Christ, the creator, the Lord, the son of God, to create joy and life in not just your life, but in all things. 
Number three, finally, do your part too. Not that you didn't have a part in all that, but as we wrap up, do your part. Trust in Jesus to be large and in charge of your life. Are you thinking you do a good job of that? Well, then I want you to think about your life and think how much you try to do on your own compared to how much do you take to him. How much you pray for him to be glorified. How much you pray for him to guide your steps, guide your words, guide your thoughts. Let him be large and in charge. And finally, give praise to Christ, the creator today, because he is the new wine in the true joy. He brings life that nothing in this world can bring. He is the great solution to man's problem. He saves us from our sins and all we must do is confess with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, ask forgiveness and turn away from a sin-filled life and turn towards a righteous life living in his steps, his ways. Let's close in prayer now. Lord, we thank you for you are good. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for these signs, these signs which are manifestations of his glory and of his purposes. We thank you for these miracles which we can look to and learn to. And we just pray for our lives now. May you be glorified in all things, Lord. And as we look to Jesus' actions here, may we listen. May we look to provide for life's problems. But may we not try and be the solution ourselves to all life's problems. May we recognize the great solution that Christ is. May we proclaim Christ is the solution. May we proclaim that more and more. I think of Kezia's missionary update there from her trip to Zimbabwe and how they just keep sharing their testimony of what Christ done in, has done in their life. May we do the same. Lord, I think of Mary and how she just took it to Christ. We don't know exactly what her purposes are. She may not have had any intention of him doing a miracle, but he took, she took it to Christ. May we take everything to him. Too. And though, Lord, we think of ourselves too. May we make sure Christ is large and in charge and invited to every part of our life, not kicked out of certain nights, certain parties, certain, certain things, but may we invite him into every single moment. Thank you for the great blessing we have in Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. Let's stand and praise God together. God, you're so good. Amazing love that welcomes me, the kindness of mercy that bought with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserving. God, your soul. God, you're so good. God, you're so Yeah.
sit down, I want to say, I've been with people in the great times of life, at new babies being born, new relationships, new marriages. I've been with people in what they would consider the worst times of life through death. And in all times, there's great times and bad. We can say, God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. In fact, in some of those times, we don't know what to say, but we can say that. Change our focus from the great problems and see the great solution. Thank you. As you leave, I just remind you, all church picture next week after church. Church work day, Saturday morning. We need your help. Don't think, oh, I never go, be, I never go any other year and they get it done. <laughs> we need your help, especially since we have a lot of people in Washington, D.C. and on a vacation. Please come help be part of the solution. Thank you for joining us.